Hey guys, it's Albert. We got a dynamite show for you this week. We're going to recap the draft by talking about quarterback fits with a brand new guest. You're going to want to hear from him. We got takeaways on Trey Lance and the Niners, on Aaron Rodgers and the Packers, on Justin Fields and the Bears, on Mac Jones and the Patriots, and on the 2022 quarterback class. And we get to all of your questions in a six pack. Let's go. All right, welcome in. The draft is in the books. It is the month of May. That means we're in the slower period in the NFL calendar, but we have a draft to recap. We also have a certain quarterback situation to address. It's the Albert Breer Show. we got a great guest coming in for you this week. Uh, he is the trainer for three of the quarterbacks that went in the first round. We're going to talk about quarterback fits, how he sees each of these quarterbacks evolving as pros um, as they move into the NFL over the next few weeks we've also got all of your questions in the six pack but we're going to start where we always do and that's with the takeaways and the first takeaway buckle up it's going to take a while the Aaron Rodgers situation I think still has it won't be resolved for some time to come I think is the best way to put it and I think to understand that you got to understand the positions both sides are in on one side you've got the Packers okay they believe they've got a championship team right now today look at the roster lots of guys in the prime of their career guys like Jair Alexander Zadarius Smith Preston Smith Adrian Amos Devontae Adams uh, David Bakhtiari Aaron Jones it is a championship roster right now today I do not believe that the Packers think that Jordan Love is ready to lead a team like that to a championship and so all of their focus is on getting Aaron Rodgers in the building and having Aaron Rodgers as their quarterback next year. And, yeah, I think that they look at it and say, we're willing to work with Aaron Rodgers, but we're not willing to blow up the way that we operate for Aaron Rodgers. So we'll work with him on the contract. We'll do what we can to make it comfortable for him here. But there's also a way that we've built this team for a long, long time that's worked for us. On the flip side, you have Aaron Rodgers, who I think is cognizant of what's happened in the league and what's going on with Tom Brady in Tampa and the way teams are being built in other places. And I think that that's part of the reason, on top of Love being drafted last year, for his discontent. Go back to January. I think if Aaron Rodgers took stock of what was around him in that championship round, that conference championship round. He sees the way that the Chiefs are building around Patrick Mahomes. He sees the way the Bills are building around Josh Allen. Most of all, he sees the way that the Buccaneers are building around Tom Brady. Well, why does that affect him? Well, because I think as a player, when guys get to that age, I think they're looking for teams to sort of center on where they're at and the fact that they don't have very many shots left. And so... You know, I think if you look at the structure of Aaron Rodgers' contract, you can see it. Um, the Packers didn't even have to ask permission, could have just kind of pulled a lever and mortgaged his contract and created $9 million in cap space. They didn't do that. It's significant, too. Why? Because if you look at the way the, Patri the, the, the Buccaneers have been able to build around Tom Brady, how have they done it? Mortgaging, mortgaging, mortgaging telling basically the world we are building for right now. We are building for the next year or two. We'll worry about all the rest of this stuff later. And, you know, I think that's really the crux of where Aaron Rodgers is. I think it's the crux of the Russell Wilson situation earlier in the offseason too, where these guys want it to center on them. These guys want their teams to be aggressive and building around them. 
And the Packers, to be fair to them, have had a disciplined way of building that team for a long, long time that has worked with, worked for them over decades. And so, like, I don't know how you solve that part of it. Like, I just don't. Like, the Packers have a certain way of building. It frustrated Brett Favre 13 years ago. It's frustrating Aaron Rodgers now. I don't think it's going to change. And, you know, uh, I, like, and if you really want to look at it, I don't know that Aaron Rodgers' situation is that bad either. I think a lot of quarterbacks would die to be in the situation that Aaron Rodgers is in. You know, but you also understand why when he looks at what he's up against, why he feels like things should be done a different way. So that's what's so interesting about it. How does that get solved? I don't know. Because on one side, you've got a team that is resolved to do business a certain way, but will work with the player and that isn't willing to move the player right now. And on the other side, you got the player who wants the way the team does business to change, has $240 million in the bank, could have an eight-figure broadcasting job tomorrow if he walked away from football. And I'm not talking about Jeopardy. He could get an NFL. He could, he could call NFL games, be a studio. Like he'd get paid a boatload of money. You know, so I just think that that situation right now is in a place where you've got two sides that are very comfortable with their positions. And I don't think anybody really gets uncomfortable with their position until we get to training camp. Right. I mean, we're going to get helicopter coverage of the mini camp in June. If he misses that, I mean, I don't think anybody's really losing sleep over that. So really this feels to me like it's going to build up and build up and build up. And I think we're going to get to the end of July. Aaron Rodgers isn't going to show up. And then who the hell knows what happens. Uh, takeaway number two, it's very interesting that the the, the it, to me it's really interesting seeing how the, how the Niners operated in the lead up to taking Trey Lance third overall. It's really interesting to me to see that pick, and here's the way I look at it: I think when they made that trade, Kyle Shanahan had to have at least one quarterback who he was wholly comfortable with. You're not trading away three first round picks unless there is a quarterback there that you think for the next 15 years. This can be my guy. I am willing to tie my job security to this guy. And whether that was Trey Lance or Mac Jones, I'm not sure. Here's what I do know. I do know the areas where Mac Jones was strong, above the neck, processing the game as a worker, as a person, like with the people around like what the people around him at Alabama would say about him. And we reported this earlier in the offseason. Like when Alabama players, offensive players were asked, who would you bring to the pros with you? Would it be two or Mac? They couldn't get Mac's name out of their mouth fast enough. So, you know, really, like, I think, like, when you look at the two of them, I, I think you see some strengths that Trey has that Mac doesn't, and then you had some strengths that Mac had that the Niners had to figure out whether or not Trey had those strengths. Well, Trey has crushed his meetings. And, I like, I like I know that gets said a lot this time of year. I, I can't emphasize enough. Trey has crushed his meetings with teams. He's intelligent. His football IQ is good. His character is exemplary. His teammates love him. And so I think that, that that's really where this was. Like I, 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 and I, I can't say whether or not Trey or Mac were the leader for Kyle. Only Kyle knows that um, when they made the trade at the end of March. What I can say is there are certain things that Trey can do that Mac can't. And there are certain areas where Mac was known to be really strong, where Trey might have been a little bit of mystery. And so over here in that first category, Trey maintained that because there's nothing Mac can really do about that, right? 
And in the other category, I think Trey gained ground with where he handled the pro- how he handled the process and how he did note that meeting setting with all of these teams. And I assume that came, well, I know that came through to the, with the Niners because I, you know, John Lynch and I talked about it over the weekend. The fact that he did so well in that setting, to me, I think is where he caught up. If there was ground to, 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 to make up, I think that's where the ground was made up. And Trey Lance is a Niner. And I really think that's got the potential to be something incredible. If, you know, again, the first couple of years are going to be critical. But if Trey Lance can clean up some things, I'm, like I think he can make that, that Shanahan offense. I mean, he think he can take it to another level. And, you know, what's so interesting about it to me was, you know, when I look at like that offense and you, you look down the coast, right? Like do, look to LA and what, what Sean McVay did in a way, Sean McVay traded Mac Jones for a version of Trey Lance or Justin Fields. Like if you look at it, like that's sort of what happened this off season, right? Well, it's interesting now that, you know, now Kyle Shanahan picks Trey Lance over, over Justin Fields and, and in particular, Mac Jones. We'll see where that goes. Uh, takeaway number three, I think Justin Fields is going to a place in Chicago that should be a really good fit for him, all right? They draft a left tackle in Tevin Jenkins. We'll see how that works because he was mostly a right tackle at Oklahoma State, but they draft a young left tackle. They have, you know, a bona fide number one receiver in Allen Robinson. They have a... Like top flight young tight end and Cole Komet, they have they have Mooney who I think they feel like can be a really good uh, a really good receiver. Like it's going to take some time, but really good receiver down the line has a lot of speed. Montgomery in the backfield, like there are a lot of things that are right about the situation in Chicago for Justin Fields. I also think Matt Nagy is an excellent developer of young quarterbacks. Now it didn't work with Mitch, but I don't know that anything would have worked there. Like the bottom line is like you look at like his history and you know how he worked with Patrick Mahomes and how they were able to get a little bit more out of Alex Smith than had been gotten out of him before. Yeah, I think Nagy's the right coach. The Bears got to give this time. And what I fear for Justin Fields right now is he's going to go there and they're going to go six and ten or seven and nine and everybody's going to get blown out of there and then who the hell knows what happens. So I really like you know just for the sake of this working. I really hope the bears are patient and give time to the relationship between, between Justin Fields and, and, and Matt Nagy. And they give this thing a couple of years at least to see where it goes, because I know how damaging it can be on a quarterback when year one, things don't go, things don't go great. And then the coaches get blown out of there. And then all of a sudden now the quarterback is being foisted upon some coach who didn't draft him and like it's just it becomes I think awkward and a little difficult difficult and that's going to be part of our conversation with our special guest um, but you know I think that that's a really important piece of all of this is that Justin Fields gets some stability and I think a big part of that's going to be actually how much they win in year one like what they're able to accomplish in year one whether Andy Dalton or Justin Fields is the quarterback takeaway number four Mac Jones goes to New England I think this means this is basically the end of of the Jimmy Garoppolo thing, unless Jimmy gets cut or something at the end of training camp. If Trey Lance shows that he's ready to go, um, look like I, I like I think the fit is really really good. Um, you know, having talked to some people that 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 worked with Mac Jones at Alabama, um, you really get the sense that 
like the fit is there and that they're going to be able to play their offense um, a certain way that I think they've always wanted to play their offense with, um, you know, with Mac Jones as their quarterback eventually, whether it's week one, whether it's week nine, whether it's 2022, eventually Mac Jones is going to be able to operate that offense because of his ability to process, because he plays the game fast. Everything with Mac Jones, his release, um, how he sees it, like even though he's not, doesn't have foot speed, everything is fast with him, and that's what the Patriots want. My bigger question isn't going to be year one with Mac Jones, it's year five. It's, is this Jared Goff where if everything's right around him, you feel really good, but then when you pay him, things... But when you pay when you pay him, like the, the circumstances change, he's got to lift people up around him, and it's not quite the same. And quite frankly, like I sort of wonder if like that's not even a concern of Belichick's right now. If the concern right now is how do we get back to competing for championships right now, having a quarterback on a rookie contract, it's going to work for us. I'm not going to worry about 2025 because I may not be here anymore. So having a quarterback on a rookie contract is going to allow me to build a certain way, allow us to build a certain way, and we'll worry about that stuff later, and maybe it won't even be my problem to worry about. I think it's an interesting detail to all of this because, again, the biggest concern with Mac Jones in my mind isn't who he is in year one or year two. It's who he is in year five or year six. It's whether or not this is Derek Carr or Andy Dalton where, again, the guy comes in, he's ready to go, he can play right away, he's a good fit for what you do, but then in year five or year six, you've got to build differently because you've paid him, and now you're left wanting for more. And so that'd be my question with Mac Jones. But as far as the fit goes in New England, I think we all understand why that makes sense. Final takeaway, takeaway number five. One of the reasons why I think the quarterbacks went the way that they did this year and the reason why the Niners so aggressively moved up, the reason why the Bears so aggressively moved up, to me, this is about what's in front of everybody. This is a really good group of quarterbacks, the five quarterbacks that went in the first round. But I also think that the outlook next year isn't nearly as bright. And I think the best comparison is 2018 to 2021 and 2019 to 2022. And same sort of thing. You had five quarterbacks in the first round in 2018. A big part of that was teams at that point didn't see a lot. Um, coming down the pike the next year and felt like if we're going to get our guy, we sort of have to do it now. And what wound up happening? Well, in 2019, three quarterbacks went in the first round. Two of them were first-year starters who weren't even on the NFL radar the year before, one of whom the NFL really felt like like the guy's going to go play baseball. Kyler Murray, first overall. Daniel Jones, sixth overall. Dwayne Haskins, 15th overall. Now, how does that group look now? Well, if you look now, you know, if you look now – we're three years down, two years down the line. Dwayne Haskins isn't on Washington anymore. Daniel Jones is like just, I think the jury's out on him with the Giants. And I mean, Kyler Murray, I think makes it, but we certainly aren't as sure about Kyler Murray as we were about, say, Josh Allen after year two in Buffalo or Lamar Jackson after year two in Baltimore. Like, so, like, the 2019 class, again, the NFL was affected by that, by by what it looked like was coming down the pike, like, in 2018. And as it turns out, the 19 class was just sort of that. It was just okay. It was sort of a crapshoot. And so that's what's going to be so interesting about following this year forward. 
I don't think that the like you don't have a Trevor Lawrence or a Justin Fields um, coming down the pike. You don't have a Trey Lance coming down the pike where you look at the guy and you say that's going to be a first rounder next year. Maybe Spencer Rattler from Oklahoma makes it. Maybe Sam Howell from North North Carolina makes it. Maybe JT Daniels from Georgia makes it. Maybe Keaton Slovis from from USC is that guy. I just don't know that any of those guys are in the same category that Trevor Lawrence or Justin Fields or Trey Lance were a year ago. And so it's always interesting to watch. There are always going to be quarterbacks in the first round. But if the 18-19 dynamic exists down the line with the 21 and 22 classes, I'd say the quarterback, the teams that got quarterbacks in 21 probably did pretty well to go and do that and be aggressive when they were. We will get to our special guest right after this. All right, well, we're going to bring in a guy now who I've been meaning to have on the podcast for a while. You might have you've seen his name in my stories over the last couple of months, I'm sure. Uh, and really, I, I, like one of the rising stars when it comes to quarterback development at all levels of the game, you know, and, and out at 3DQB in Orange County, he works with high school kids. He works with um, some of the premier college players and, of course, some of the NFL guys and also in between getting guys ready for the draft, which is one of the reasons we're having him on this week. So former second round pick. Former Dolphin, former Washington football team quarterback. Who else am I missing there, John? Uh, I was Ravens and uh, Texans. Those are the okay. four teams I played for. That's the voice of John Beck there. So, um, all right, John. So, one of the reasons I want to have you on again because you worked with now you work with Trey Lance, you work with Zach Wilson, you work with Justin Fields. So you'll be able to give us insight into those guys. But I want to start here um, because you went went through it yourself. I'm wondering if you can kind of give for the listeners an idea of how important fit is for a quarterback and like how I guess it's a nature versus nurture thing, right? Like how, how much of a quarterback's development is either going to like just explode or be stunted by the circumstances he lands in. It's absolutely critical to the growth and development of a quarterback for a lot of reasons. I can speak to from the physical standpoint of saying, does this offense fit the uh, physical abilities that you have? Are they asking you to do something that you haven't done a lot of? I think most quarterbacks, when they're in college, they find a comfort zone in what that offense is asking to do, either because they've repped it out, they're on a, the same wavelength with the offensive coordinator, the coordinator knows what he can get from that player. So you see them hitting their stride, and then that's why they have the opportunity to go play in the NFL. And then you hear about that fit thing, right? And it's some coordinators, especially nowadays, I've seen coordinators adapt their system to fit the quarterback. When I came into the league, it was very much of this is what we run on offense. We have to find a guy that fits that. But I think there's like this physical element in you can't ask a guy to do what he's physically incapable of doing. And you don't want to put him in situations from a physical standpoint where uh, he doesn't have a lot of reps doing it. That's why you need time to develop. From the mental side, there's a huge part in terms of fit because you take somebody's mental you can say football iq the lens that they view football through is that going to help them when they go to this offense or could that totally be misaligned and as much as you want to put somebody on the board philosophically an offense attacks a defense a certain way and a quarterback gets brought up that way and if all of a sudden he gets to an nfl team and the lens that he's viewing the way they attack the defense is different it may not be a great fit and that's why it's so important that there's this alignment between the physical the mental the coaches, the, the the communication, and the way the quarterback feels going into a game. Can you remember like like 
whatever level it was when you were in a place that was a really good fit and what it felt like for you as a quarterback? Well, I remember feeling when I got drafted by the Dolphins, um, their experience with Drew Brees. And when they sat me down showing me, you know, this is what Drew did in, in San Diego. And this is why we feel like it would be a good fit. Here are the elements of this system that we feel like when we watch your college tape. So there was a lot of excitement, right? And I was naive to the NFL game at that point. I didn't know totally what it was, but I can remember feeling like this is going to be a good fit. And I do think, you know, had that staff not been fired, uh, it could have been a good fit. We never got to actually see because they were gone so fast. But I do remember an excitement for Kyle Shanahan's system. The downside for me was I didn't get an offseason in that system. I didn't really didn't get a chance to like really dive into it. But I just remember feeling like a lot of the things that I knew I brought to the table, they were going to be used well. And, you know, it's exciting when you feel and when you hear, I should say also, the coaches tell you, this is where I feel like we're going to be able to use you. This is why your skills can be used great in this system. So for me, really, it was excitement. I never really felt like I got to actually dive into a system for like consecutive years. Um, to me, my best answer would be I do know systems that felt exciting. Okay. And of course, the offseason, I think you, you're, you're referencing the lockout year, right? Like that you lost yeah, the offseason. Yeah, that was... And it's so interesting, too, because you mentioned that, like how many quarterbacks, like Sam Darnold's a great example, where the staff that drafted him was gone a year later and like how that can just totally screw up like where I, like like total like, and I guess like with Peyton Manning you look at it same system for 14 years in Indianapolis Tom Brady same system for 20 years now like I guess there's like a kind of push and pull there because part of it is well they were damn good too so that's part of the reason why the coaches yeah, didn't get fired yeah. you know but it's just True. sort of interesting looking at those um all right so like let's go through the guys that you worked with first and um, I, I think it's the, the the easy one to start with Zach because you I think you have and correct me if I'm wrong the most background with Zach um, yeah. going back with him to when he was coming out of high school. <clears throat> so when you look at his fit in New York, do you think he went to the right place? Going and playing for you know Robert Sala as a head coach and Michael Floor as an offensive coordinator who's going to bring that Shanahan system that you're you're very familiar with. I do. I think as I look back to a lot of the ways that I tried to help Zach develop, the last three years of my time in the NFL were spent in that system. I played two years for Kyle and Mike, uh, and then I played for Gary Kubiak, which, you know, that is the exact Shanahan system as well. So a lot of the stuff that I did with Zach, because I saw athleticism, I saw like these same traits that I'm like, wow, this would be a great fit in that offense. So, so much of development was built around that. The other thing was at the time that Zach was coming here during his college years, we were training guys in the NFL that were playing in that system. Matt Ryan was playing in that system for the Falcons. Uh, Jared Goff was playing in that system for McVay. We went through some stuff with Jordan Love as he was prepping to be ready for the Packers. So there was just a lot of elements to that offense that were really thick and used a lot in our teachings here at 3DQB. And so it just kind of rolled really smooth into our time with Zach. So it's kind of crazy, but so much of the stuff that footwork, uh, timing on routes, a lot of different things that we were helping these NFL guys with, we almost built into Zach while he was in college. And if you look at a lot of Zach's clips, you'll see elements of the footwork that tie directly to that offense. So I do think it's an awesome fit. Um, Zach and I were just talking the other day, how crazy is it that like, how many years ago was that? 10 years ago, nine, 10 years ago, I'm playing in that system. And now all of a sudden I'm helping Zach to prepare to play in the same system. It's pretty cool. Yeah. And you know, the Jets coaches told me like one thing I, I know talking to them was they, they felt like some of the stuff that they'd watched at BYU was translatable. 
um, to, yeah. to, to, to the Shanahan offense. Can you explain that? Like what, like what exactly he was doing at BYU that might be, I mean, I obviously it's different cause it's the pros, but might be like a little bit easier of a translation than maybe you might have from other college offenses. Yeah. A lot of this stuff is built off of the like keeper, keeper slide game, which means you're going to get out on the edges off of, you know, inside outside zone, get on the edge, but you're going to use guys that slide across and then you're going to have a deep over. So a lot of the keeper game is, was built almost the exact same. You see Zach and BYU take shots off play pass, you know, both within the Shanahan McVay, LaFleur systems. There's a lot of shots, balls being taken down the field. And when I say shots, I don't necessarily mean up over the top. I also mean when you want those 16 to 22 yard gains, a lot of the time it's off play pass. And that's, and that's also what BYU did. They, they, BYU was really good in the run game on first and second down. And what that did was it set them up for a lot of first and second down play pass as well. So if you watch their tape, you see a lot of these first down to start a series, they go play pass. And then a lot of that second level crossers, somebody out into the flat, these three tier throws, if you want to call it that, and especially turning their back to the defense. So, and then you look at some of their quick game stuff where the, the, like the rhythm of their feet are beat are are built into like the quick game that like 10 to 12 yard death stuff as well you just see zach three by one singled up on the backside you know he can steal it or you're going to have some type of layered concept to the field and he's able to layer a ball to a second level guy drive a ball to a flat i, I just see so many elements where maybe the way that it's set up maybe a little different but schematically it's so much the same downfield and it, Quite frankly, because those guys at BYU spent a lot of the time watching Niner tape, stealing stuff off Niner tape, and infusing into that BYU offense. Okay, so you like you guys? I like I don't think it was a leap to think that Zach. I, like, I'm not going to say you knew where he was going, but it feels like that. Like that sort of that horse has been in the stable for a while. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> like, so working with Zach, has he like have you have you tried to do stuff with him at all? Um, over the last month, month and a half, maybe since his pro day, that, you know, like at least like maybe would prepare him a little bit or maybe he was looking to get a little bit of a head start on on what to expect when, you know, when, when, when he got to New York. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, there's no beating around the bush now, right? Like I've known those guys there for a long time. I've known Mike LaFleur for a long time. When I knew the Jets were taking a really hard look at him, we had opportunities to talk. I mean, I get to see those guys at the pro days, right? And it's not like, hey, how are you? It's like, like I'm John Beck. It's like, it's a hug. Like, what's up, dude? Like, yeah. we had talked to I me mean, for a long time. So uh, there was preparation beginning already with names that I was using when I would teach Zach stuff on the field. All of his play pass game, I'm using the same terminology to prep him for it. So, you know, concepts, hey, this is going to be called this. This is going to be called that. They may use this term or that term, but it's the same thing. Let's talk about why it is. So, I mean, he's been building himself so that he, when he steps out on the field, it wasn't just about like getting a new offense when he got to rookie minicamp. It was really hitting the ground running because we knew, especially when San Francisco traded up, like it was a you know really, really high chance he was going to be playing in that system, that terminology. So it was only smart of us to get things going then. Did you like how long do you feel like you knew that it was the Jets? Did they <laughs> like did they tip did, did did Rob or Mike or anybody like tip their hand or uh, <laughs> I mean, yeah. you've known a while. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was, <laughs> I mean, I don't know how else to say it. Like, yeah. I mean, of course something could have backed out in the last minute and all that. Right. But, yeah. uh, I mean, here's the thing, knowing what I know they like, and then yeah. sitting there looking at Zach, who I've known forever. 
it was almost like, wow. I mean, you, you it just made too much sense. Yeah. 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 It just made way too much sense. I mean, in my mind, I'm like, I know these guys are chomping at the bit to get this guy. That's how, that's how mm-hmm. much it was, uh, a kind of like a sure, a sure fit. Before we moved on to the next guy, like I do want to ask you, cause this was something you and I had talked about maybe a month ago. And I want to follow up on this. We talked about the enormity of playing in New York, right? Like, and how it's a little bit different there. And you experienced some of that in Washington, the way that that team's covered um, and kind of the circus it can become. I know you'd mentioned you were going to put Zach in touch with some guys who'd played there. Did that happen? Yeah. Yeah, I did. Um, there's guys that I had chances to be teammates with uh, in the league, um, two in particular because they were my teammates, right? I had an opportunity my second year actually to be with both of them. The Miami Dolphins brought Josh McCown in in free agency. He and I were teammates for a few months, but we always stayed in touch with each other. Um, and then Chad Pennington. And at, at that time in my career, the way that Chad entered the building, the approach that he had, you could tell that he had gained so much from that New York experience. To this day, Chad Pennington was one of the best preparers I've ever been around for an NFL game. Um, and so I just felt like I didn't know who the Jets were going to be able to bring in as kind of that veteran presence for Zach. But it's so, so important for a young guy to have that I can remember feeling like I'll use the word robbed a little bit uh Trent Green came in to the Dolphins was supposed to be that you know and hey I'm supposed to watch this guy be the starter for a season or two and that was the plan and then five games in he gets a you know a knock to the head he's out for the remainder of the season and didn't spend a lot of time around the building and so for me I didn't know who that was going to be for Zach and you know I just knew those guys are respected by everybody because of who they are Every team that Josh McCown is on, whether he's the starter, whether he's the guy that's helping the starter, no matter what he does, he's about as good as it comes in helping a young player develop. And I'm sure if you reached out to Sam Darnold, he would have said the same thing about his experience there. So I knew Josh knew what it was like to be the quarterback of the New York Jets. I knew he would be able to give a great perspective, same as Chad Pennington. So I absolutely put them in touch. Uh, I don't know the extent of the conversations, but I know that Zach said he had good ones with both those guys. Okay, cool. Um, let's go to the next guy then, Trey Lance, somebody who I think you came into contact with a little later, right? Like, and it was yeah. I, 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 if I'm not mistaken, it was Easton Stick that put you guys that kind of like connected you guys, right? Well, it was his agent, Patrick Collins, reached out. So he had finished up his pro day. He he did not do the uh, pre-draft prep with us, but after his right. pro day, he reached out saying, "Hey, we just want to bounce out for a little bit. We want to see you guys. We want just to have another set of eyes on Trey." And then there was a connection because of people within the 49ers building um, that Patrick had a relationship with. And so it just kind of worked out that it came for a couple of days and then Easton's there. And then as I think Trey was able to see Easton be with us for a long period of time, he said, well, hey, I want to be around Easton more. And then that kind of led to this, well, hey, longer development's going to be great. Now we're going to do a second pro day. And obviously more talks were happening with myself and the 49ers, the 49ers and Patrick Collins, like, right, it's happening all the time. He's doing his Zoom stuff with the Niners, knowing he's on our field. And there's a long history there because Kyle Shannon had been with the Atlanta Falcons when Matt Ryan was working with us, and Matt LaFleur was on that staff. So there was a number of years there. Kyle gets the job in San Francisco. Immediately, we get in contact because he's saying the same thing that we did in Atlanta, I want you to do for my quarterbacks here at the Niners. So there had been a couple years of me working with the Niners quarterbacks Mm -hmm. as well. So. It was kind of this just perfect fit where, hey, Trey's here. We have a relationship with the Niners. That offense, they can't get to the field and do any, you know, private workouts. It's the next best thing. 
And that's right. how that all came into play. So like for you, um, and I think that like that, that first week that you worked with him was before they traded up. If I, if I remember right, it was something like that. Like, right. Like it was, yeah, it might have. I mean, I can't remember now when Trey's pro day was and when I went to the BYU pro day, I, I know I was, kind of tipped off the night before and then on the field the day of Zach's pro day yeah. when it went down. And that was when it blew remember. up. I remember that. Like, cause I remember that blew up and then there were pictures of like, <laughs> like Lynch standing next to, to Sala and all of that. Yeah. So, which must've been kind of wild. Like, cause I, I mean, it's almost like Zach got his thunder stolen there. Um, yeah. So I like, what was your first impression of Trey? Like, you know, and, and everybody says how, how well he's done in the meetings and, um, you know, like how, how just easy to get along with he is and how yeah. smart he is and all of that. Um, you get him on the field for the first time. What's your first impression? Well, first off, how big he is. Like I yeah. didn't realize that he was that big of a guy. Um, I'd only quite frankly, I'd only seen a little bit here, or there. I had seen his pro day, um, and they had a field level camera, right? But you just don't know. And that's, you know, a good point to why people ask, why do these coaches want to do these private workouts? Watching somebody on tape, watching even a ground level pro day, it is not the same as actually getting the guy out there and standing next to him. So the first thing was just how big he was. You could notice his athleticism for how big he was right when it happened. Um, we were able to go up and watch tape in the very beginning. And I love doing that with all the guys that I train. I want to get there. I want you to walk me through your tape, talk me through your progressions, your reads, what the coaches are asking you to do. What do you do on top of what the coaches give you? What's your savviness and your football IQ outside of just the standard install, right? What do you know about the game? And I mean, those just jump off with Trey, right? And you can tell also the word I've always used with him is this eagerness. He's eager to talk ball. He's eager to watch ball. He's eager to learn. He's eager to practice. He's eager in all these areas. And you can also tell the speed at which he goes through his plays, right? Uh, that tells me a little bit of how fast his brain is going. Sometimes people that can go extremely fast have to learn how to calm their brain down. And there's kind of that like, I think people that sometimes are really smart and can process really fast, they have to make sure they're not going too fast. And I got this sense from Trey that he sits right in this like sweet spot. He has the ability to process fast, but he's not going too fast. And he has this like love of the game, but it sits in this like sweet spot. He's not going to try to do or think too much. And I think that as coaches probably get a chance to know him more, that's what they're going to love about him. And I think that's why you, you can give him things and he's not going to look for too much, think through it too much. It's just going to be that little sweet spot. Now I say that and the first thing that pops in my head is that's how he did his college game. And I yeah. was getting a chance talking about college and all of a sudden it reverted me back to playing in the NFL. Now that playbook is going to be three times as big. Now the speed that you, which you need to process has to go up a little bit. And that's when sometimes guys, they have to learn, right? They have to learn how to process faster without going too fast. And I'm sure he's going to learn those lessons. But I get the sense that, I mean, he just great kid, great worker, so easy to get along with. And you can tell he loves the game. Do you like, I mean, physically, like, did it just jump out at you? Like, beyond just the size, like what he can do with the ball, the way he moves, like, did that jump out at you too? Well, I will say this, his downfield stuff with the athleticism, yes. There's areas that we saw can improve especially at the pro game a lot of the things that we do is we try to get like these baselines you know we're fortunate at 3d qb to have some of the best in the game at what they do and when you have a chance to work with the matt staffords uh the jared goffs the justin herberts the matt i mean like all those guys Dak mm -hmm. prescott they're in all the time 
Jameis Winston. Okay, so they're there all the time. It gives us this great baseline. If if you want to be able to succeed in the NFL, you have to be able to make these throws kind of almost within this like uh, frame. And so for us to get Trey on the field, it showed us this is where he needs to improve. As good as he did in college, this bump up is going to require this. And you see some of those abilities jump on some throws, and then you see other throws where you're going to need some more. And that's quite frankly why he stayed an extended period with us was, okay, here's the areas that he can improve. Here's how we're going to get you to improve in those areas. Okay, the one thing I want to ask you about there is accuracy, because that's where I do hear him criticized, right? And that's where I've always heard the comparison to Josh Allen, is Josh Allen found a way to improve his accuracy as a pro and maybe didn't show great accuracy at, at Wyoming, but you know he cleaned some things up and became more accurate when he got to the NFL. I've always, you know, what's interesting about that, John, is like I've always like you hear from people for years and years and years. It's a very difficult thing to improve. Yeah. Like, where are you at on that? Like, because like, do you think there was a problem for Trey? And if it is, like, how is it fixable? So here's what I'm gonna say. I know there's that phrase, uh, quarterbacks either accurate or isn't, and I right. do know, like, to a degree, I do agree with when somebody gets to the professional level yeah it's going to be hard to to catch up on reps but here's the thing show me their stroke show me what their body's doing right if they have little things that can be tweaked around their motion those can have a huge impact and i've seen it on a number of players both nfl and collegiately where those guys the reason they come to us is because they say hey when i'm in this situation and i know i got a gimme I got to be able to hit those 10 out of 10 times right now. I'm like six out of 10, but on these other throws, Hey, I feel really accurate. Okay. So would you consider that guy an accurate or inaccurate thrower? Many times we say, well, he's still very accurate to these other throws. What is happening on these specific throws that are causing him to be inaccurate? So I'm not just going to stamp him inaccurate. What I'm going to say is needs refinement. And that's the stamp I'm going to give him. So, Jumping back to Trey, are there spaces here and there, throws here or there where refinement is going to be the thing that can improve accuracy? Absolutely. When you refine a quarterback, accuracy will improve. So in that sense, I do say, well, yes, you can absolutely improve a player's accuracy. You may not be improving that exact stroke because it is hard to change somebody's stroke after so many years, but you can adjust what's happening around that stroke. And on certain throws, they don't even know it but they're putting themselves in a really tough position to be accurate. So refine the position, refine the movement. Accuracy will jump up. Okay. So, you know, Kyle's system really well. I know you are a resource for them through the process on these guys. Do you, where do you think the fit is with Trey and Kyle working together now? And do you think it, the, the result is, Trey needs to play and needs the reps now and you just need to throw him out there and he needs to figure it out. Or is this like, I know a lot of the Niners people have said the best thing is a, 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 you know, like an Alex Smith, Patrick Mahomes situation where for a year Trey gets to learn and Jimmy gets to play. So I think pretty much every quarterback can quarterback can benefit from a time of adaptation, learn the game, learn the system, rep it, gain experience don't have to go through all your learning experiences on game day right don't like you all have to learn it's best to kind of have those experiences and then be able to get to go on the field and i know people can point fingers to justin herbert well he went out and won like rookie of the year amazing so much of justin's plays that he made this year he was having to create himself right it necessarily wasn't always within the scheme um 
which is a and more you know, innate and so like that's which is more yeah, innate, and it right? also yeah, yeah. And like it also depends on the guys around him, right? The pieces. I do believe the 49er fit is going to be an outstanding fit. Um, I really liked the process that the Niners went through uh, to, to gain all the information they could on all these quarterbacks. I know that when they picked Trey, and look, I did not know. I sat there on draft night wondering who they were going to pick. They didn't so like when they were in the clock, on. you didn't know. No, I had no idea. Um, <laughs> did you think it was I Trey? Know, what? <laughs> Did you think it was Trey or did you think it was I mean, was I Mac? thought there was a really good chance it could be Trey, but I also thought it was <laughs> yeah. a good chance it could be Mac. Um, yeah. And I didn't know if Justin was out of the picture as well uh, right. because I had tons of conversations with them about Justin. And all those guys are deserving, right? Like they're all yeah. very capable guys. But, uh, you know, I, I like I look at if Trey can have that time and he can develop quickly, which I believe he has some things from a mental standpoint, from how he's already processed the game at North Dakota State, I do believe he could be ready soon. There's some areas that I want to see him improve on before he has to go play because I think that this league can be very unforgiving for guys once you put them out on the field. Nobody now, like they're not nowadays just given the like pass, like, well, you get the five or six game pass, right? As soon as you step them out on the field and your starter, judgment begins. And I know every coach and player would like to have more experience going into that. It's just not always a thing you get. But I do think it's going to be a great fit because also what Trey brings to this thing is when things break down, right? Mm -hmm. When things break down, he's going to be able to make plays. So he's not going to have to play as perfect as somebody that necessarily can't go out there and make those plays. And I bet that that was something that the 49ers thought about. If, you know, I love Jimmy. Look, Jimmy can do some unbelievable things. And I will say that always. There are some things that Jimmy Garoppolo can do that he is in the like top 5% of throwers in the league, some of the abilities. But Jimmy's had to battle through a lot of injuries. You, you know, knock on wood, you hope nothing happens. But if it does and Trey has to go out there, he does also give you the ability to make plays with his feet and extend plays. Is there part of you that wishes Jimmy was back in New England? Like just to see like the like what the what the second act of that would look like. You know what I mean? Like, uh, you don't want to know my honest truth, because I've yeah. had a lot of time training Jimmy over the years. Yeah. I would love to see Jimmy uh, have one of those stories where a team goes, they draft a guy high. And then Jimmy just goes and does a Drew Brees, right? Right. And just like tears it up. Like I'm rooting for Jimmy Grappolo. He is awesome. And he mm -hmm. is a heck of a football player. And he's invested a lot of time. I'm really big on people's stories. I want to help. I want to help people succeed. I know what it feels like to be in the NFL and to work your brains out and to not have the situation help you out. And you're constantly having to fight for like push against something else that's pushing on you. And so I look at like Jimmy's situation. The guy was in the Super Bowl. He almost won it a couple seasons ago. And like this is Jimmy's story of like rebounding. This is Jimmy's bounce back opportunity. And I, you know, if you watch him go out on the field and you watch some of the things that he can do, and I can show you clip after clip after clip where he is so impressive. I would love to see Jimmy lead the 49ers to an amazing season. It would be awesome. And like that's not hurting Trey mm -hmm. one bit. Yeah. It's gonna only help Trey. He's so young, he's talented, he's got time to develop. It would only help him. So I'm rooting for Jimmy and the Niners to be able to have a magical season. All right, let's jump over to Justin then. You went through it with Justin. I mean, you saw him get built up, then torn back down. You know, so like, you, yeah. I mean, you were with him for a lot. Like, even though I know you haven't worked for, with him for that long, um, you saw a pretty intense period with him. I'm wondering what you noticed about the way he handled it. I mean, I'll tell you this. My straight-up emotions when I was going through all that were confused. Yeah. I felt like I know this guy. I can show you clips on tape that 
any team would say it's outstanding. Um, and I don't know why or where some of that stuff came from. I, I can't help but feel like when you are an early to the top, well, people can't push you up any higher. The only thing that they can do now is poke holes in you to try to bring you down. Well, it happened to where, Herbert the year before. Yeah. And you know what? I mean, <laughs> and I remember sitting with Justin in a room. The place is called The Mark. We had just gotten going. We were going over his tape and we talked about like, all right, let's talk about you as a player, the things you need to improve on. There is this thing out there of missing throws you shouldn't miss. And let's talk about why. And I think that was some of the biggest growth moments that Justin and I got to have. And I went through those same things with Justin Fields. Let's talk legit. Let's talk about things, right? Uh, and I still am confused of why that was the case because his tape didn't get worse, right? I mean, <laughs> as much as people were talking about like those great games, it's like they had to dive into the Northwestern, the Indiana. Okay, well, let's get into why those were happening. Why did Justin try to make too many plays those games? Did he force some throws? Absolutely. And he'll own up to those throws. Let's get into the why, right? Did you yeah. know that half of his offensive line was out with COVID? He didn't even know the morning of who his starters were going to be. Like, put yourself in those shoes. And you know this is your senior year. You know the expectation. You fought to get football back when they were taking football away from you and there was supposed to be no Big Ten season. Who stepped out there and said they're going to start a petition to get football back? Right. And so I look at a guy like that and I see the plays that he made. And I still have plays saved on my phone because when I fly on flights, I rewatch games. OK, I've already watched the Clemson game a couple of times. Oh, I've already watched the national championship game a couple of times. I'm going to rewatch it. And I would send plays to my partners and just say, this is why I believe this dude can make it. And so I'm really intrigued by the fit that it's going to be there at the Bears. I know Andy Dalton's the guy there this year. They right. told Andy, like, you're our starter. But. Man, I think the Bears are getting a guy that is hungry, wants to prove people, feels like he did. He proved it on, like, you know, for one of the biggest teams in America, he proved it, and yet he's going to have to go prove it again. But I love that he gets that opportunity. It's so interesting, too, to me, because, like, I, like what you're talking about, you never heard him talk about that. Like, like he never, you never, like, even, like, through back channels, they, you never heard excuses for the Indiana or Northwestern yeah. games. That's what's really interesting about it to me, and I – my experience, like John, when all that was going on, like now I know a lot of the Ohio State coaches. It, 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 I mean, it was like a cavalry rushing to his defense. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, so I think that that's sort of an interesting detail too. Um, the one thing I do want to ask you about him is, like, where do you think he projects in Matt's offense? Seeing, like, you know, all right, he's going to go play for Matt Nagy, who obviously worked with Patrick Mahomes in Kansas City. Um, you know, help develop him, goes to Chicago, didn't have as much success with Mitch. W where do you see Justin's fit um, playing for Matt Nagy? Yeah, I, I want to say one thing as you were kind of talking about that, and then I'm going to answer the question you just yep. gave me. People nowadays, I, I saw that stuff floating around, and I had to get asked questions about, yeah. well, was Justin in the facility, in the building, like he you know, should have been in there all the time, football junkie? Does everybody know that nowadays there's iPads that actually the players get all their stuff pushed to them? Yeah. The days of having to be at the facility all day, they don't exist anymore. Uh, a player can go back to wherever he wants to be and in the comfort of his own home with some food, some snacks, all of that, they can watch from their iPad. They don't have to be in the building sun up to sundown anymore. It's, it's on a handheld device, anything they want. They can send a text message give me all these clips, give me all these defensive clips, give me all these cut-ups, give me that. And their video guy can have it to them in minutes. So right. anyway, that just popped in my head because I know I had to answer questions about, well, some people think he wasn't in the building as long. 
well, you don't have to be anymore. Okay, now I'll answer the thing about math. <laughs> Sorry, that, that that just popped in my head. And I'm yeah, like, no, I it's all good. That. It's all good. That's um, good, yeah. So here's the way that I view the Bears, okay? Uh, I do think that Matt's experience with uh, Patrick is going to be key in how and some of the things that Justin's going to be able to do. There are unique players, and you don't get those unique players all the time. To be able to have a quarterback that can go run a 4-3-40 at his size – to be able to launch the ball down the field like he can launch it, the maneuverability that he has, he's going to bring a lot of things that I'm going to call weapons, okay? Mm -hmm. And I learned this lesson a long time ago, uh, and it kind of ties back into this like ancient warrior type stuff. But there's a motto, a phrase, use all your weapons. Anytime that you are going into a battle, you have to use all of your weapons. So if you have somebody that has that many weapons, how advantageous is it for your team to have somebody like that? And I look at similar to how I talked about trade, the ability to make a play happen when nothing's there. That is going to be a huge weapon if Justin has to play early in his career. The ability to move quickly and drive a ball that far down the field that can totally take the top off and extend a defense. If you have somebody at the wide out position that can get over, can get deep over the top on somebody, the ball doesn't have to be completed every time, but it stretches the defense. I'm going to jump over to Matt now. I know Matt is a really smart coach. He had to go through these tough things because it was it was Mitch, then it was Nick, and then it was trying to find his offense, and then it was turning over play-calling duties, and I'm going to give it to somebody else. And now there's talks about like play-calling duties coming back. I believe in the growth of every human being. I believe that some of the toughest things you go through helps you be the best version of yourself. I love the things that he has written on his play card, right? Be me, yeah. right? Well, I think that he's going to know – himself better this year than any year he's ever known himself as a play caller i think he's going to bring so much to the table to help develop a young player like justin fields because of what he went through through mitch trubisky uh he probably learned so much about putting that type of a player young on the field and i think it's only going to help as he now has an opportunity to develop this young player okay i'm gonna get you out of here but I want to ask you to give me one thing about the fit for the two quarterbacks in the first round that you didn't have as much experience working with. Trevor Lawrence going to Jacksonville, working with Daryl Bevel, Brian Schottenheimer and Urban Meyer, and then Mac Jones going to New England and working with Josh McDaniels and Bill Belichick. Yeah, uh, Brian Schottenheimer and Daryl Bevel, I think, going to be great fits for Justin. Both those are, sorry, not Justin, uh, Trevor. Trevor. Yeah, both those guys I know a little bit here or there. Um, and I've had a lot of awesome talks with those guys. Uh, and I think... I look at what have they done with quarterbacks. I'm going to call it the Andy Reid theory, okay? I think mm -hmm. Andy Reid is one of the best there is. You look at the track record of quarterbacks that he's done it with, and then, okay, who does he have now? And I just look at – you look where Brian's coming from, the abilities that they, he, he was able to use and guy that he played with up in Seattle and Russell Wilson. They had a lot of success there, right? And I could kind of backdate it to even more stuff. Brian's come from this long line of that Schottenheimer system. He spent a lot of years – uh, in the Rams organization, he had kind of like those markers along the way. He's going to be able to bring all that. And then you can go over to Daryl, right? And they're kind of doing this like together offense that they're going to build. I think Trevor's in a unique position because he didn't have to go through all the stresses, all the like wonders of all these other guys. I think it was pretty set in stone uh, right. that he was going to be the guy. So my guess is the preparation has already started. They're already starting to build their guy. You know what that offense is going to look like? I don't know exactly. But you have kind of this like West Coast theme. Daryl Bevel's been, uh, oh my gosh, I'm seeing his face in uh, Minnesota, and he's tied to Andy Reid, and now I'm blanking on it. Oh, uh, Minnesota? Yeah. Oh my oh, gosh. Oh, Brad Childress? Childress, right? Yeah. 
there's a line there that like Brad Childress, I know there's a tie there to the West Coast stuff that Daryl's going to bring in. And then Schottenheimer, I know that we kind of joke around. There's this digit system card, West Coast card. I think it's going to be really unique, the offense that they build, knowing it's for this guy that is probably going to be a day one starter, right? So I think it can be a really good fit. What I'm going to say for Trevor's success, it's going to be the team, right? Mm -hmm. Every quarterback's fit also is very dependent on the team around him. What are they going to do to improve as an entire team offensively, defensively to help the fit that is going to be Trevor's? And then Mac in New England? Yeah, Mac. Okay. I mean, I know it's going to sound funny because people are going to instantly think that those pre-draft photos, right? We've already seen them, right? <laughs> Mac's yeah. got the cigar and all that. But like the New England Patriots were able to get Tom Brady <clears throat> and that offense that they were running, whether it was Josh and it was Bill O'Brien, then it went back to Josh, right? That system that they have in place, they played their quarterback within that system a certain way. And you look at when Matt Castle stepped in in the – 08-08. In the 08 yeah. season, you saw how efficient he was in that system. It's because he had experience there, then he got to go out and play. I think that you're going to see a system that when Mac takes the field is going to look a lot like what Brady did. And I just had this conversation today with the quarterback that has ties to Alabama. I mean, look who's the offensive coordinator at the University of Alabama right now. Bill O'Brien. It's Bill O'Brien. <laughs> like, yeah. There is such a tie between Alabama and the Patriots that like it wouldn't surprise me one bit if the, whoever's the coordinators that have been there have not had conversations with Josh and vice versa of just that fit. And so I think it's going to be a smooth looking thing when you see Mac take the field. It may almost look like Tom Brady. And I don't know if people know this, but I was just with Bryce Young this morning and he told me, and maybe they do, uh, Mac Jones, I think his favorite player is Tom Brady or was Tom Brady. I don't know if you can still say your favorite player is Tom Brady when you may have to play against him this year. <laughs> yeah. um, but uh I mean, I bet he knows what it looks like. I bet he yeah. can go out there and make it look the same. So I think that's why it could be an unbelievable fit. And I'm sure Josh McDaniels is probably feeling the same way. Here's this very Brady-esque player, right? I love yeah. watching Mac Jones on tape. He was one of my most favorite guys to watch on tape this year. And you see him do so many Brady-like things. He's not going to get out and scramble around. He has these subtle little movements, and he's so savvy with the ball. And the other thing I really like, he rarely gets fooled. When I watch his tape, his feet, his eyes, his body, it shows posture of somebody that is in control. They know what's going on. Tom has to play that way because he's not going to go and use his athleticism and go out there and make all these crazy plays. He has to play that way. And I think of the fit, Josh McDaniels is probably getting a guy that from a mental standpoint, the way that he plays the game is very much like the guy that he had the most success with in Tom Brady. Somebody put it perfect to me and they said like, oh, well, he like, you know, I said, well, he had Waddle and he had Devontae Smith and he had, he's like, somebody said to me, go back and watch like and see how many times anybody had to work for the ball. Like it almost never happened. And I thought that that was like kind of an amazing point. Like, and you, you go back and you watch it, pull up YouTube. It's like, yeah, you know, it's there. So he's John Beck, former NFL quarterback. He works with a bunch of great guys, Adam Dado, Taylor Kelly over at 3DQB. Uh, John, we're definitely going to have you uh, have you on again. I really appreciate the time, bud. Yeah, you're welcome. All right, thanks to John Beck. He's fantastic. We should have had him out before this, but I'm glad to have him on now. Such a timely guest with everything that's going on in the NFL and his involvement with the draft quarterbacks. We're going to jump into the six-pack. You guys know how this works. Every week I put the call out for questions on Twitter. I pick six. If I pick yours... That means you get a like on Twitter. That means I hit that little heart button there. And you get an answer here on the podcast. And if you don't get an answer here on the podcast, 
chances are I might have answered your question on the mail ba- in the mailbag. Check the mailbag out at the mmqb.com. Question number one for this week comes from Duncan McLean. That's at Dunk underscore McLean. First quarterback to play for a different team. Watson, Rodgers, or Wilson? Duncan, I'm going to say it's Deshaun Watson. I do think the Texans, to some degree, have started to separate themselves from Deshaun, and I do think that when there's clarity on his situation, there is a good chance that he's going to be moved. With Aaron Rodgers, I just think it's too unpredictable at this point to know which way it's going to go. I, I do think he's resolved to not play for the Packers again. I do believe the Packers are resolved not to trade him. I'm not sure which way that goes. Russell Wilson, like I don't know that he's going to sign another contract with the Seahawks. In fact, I think it's unlikely that he signs another contract with the Seahawks, but I do think he'll be a Seahawk in 2021. So if I had to rank him um, as far as which quarterback is going to play for a different team soonest, most likely, I would say Watson one. I would say Rodgers two. I would say Wilson three. Question number two from Shedrick Carter, our buddy at Shedrick Carter two. Do you have any insight on some players that teams wanted but did not fall to them? I got a few ones for you that I just kind of came up with off the top of my head there, Shedrick. Um, number one, the, the, the New Orleans Saints, you heard about them sniffing around before the draft and looking, um, and, and that was real, looking at making a massive move up the board. They were looking, I mean, anywhere from 4 to 15. They had called all of those teams and um, inquired about their picks outside of the teams that, of course, they're in direct competition with. My understanding is if they had gone way up, two players they really liked were J.C. Horn, the quarter, cornerback from South Carolina, and Patrick Sertan, the cornerback from Alabama. My sense is that Horn would have been their preference, that they liked Horn a little bit more. Um, he, of course, his dad played um, for the New Orleans Saints, so it's going to be a name that's very familiar to Saints fans. Here's what's interesting about the Saints. They kept making those calls after both those corners went. They were on the phone with the Giants at 11. And again, this was after J.C. Horn went eight to the Panthers and after Patrick Sertan went nine to the Broncos. There have been whispers that they were looking for a quarterback, but they were very aggressively looking at a move up. The thing that prevented the move up was they were unwilling to put a third first-round pick on the table, which I think is what it would have taken to go from that part of the point in the draft, 28, where they were picking all the way into the top 10. And I would say I've got, I would say a couple other ones that you that, to, to point out here. I think the Giants probably would have taken Devontae Smith at 11 if they had just stuck there. My understanding was it was 50-50. The, trade, the idea of trading out probably would have been about 50-50 Devontae Smith versus trading down with the Bears. So I think Devontae Smith would have at least made them think a little bit harder about the idea um, of taking um, someone there. And then the other one that was sort of interesting was the Minnesota Vikings, who if Rashawn Slater had fallen to 14, I'm not sure they would have bailed from that spot. They were another team that talked to the Giants while the Giants were on the clock at 11. And I think if they had gone up that their target would have been Rashawn Slater, the big offensive tackle from Northwestern. Always interesting to kind of look through some of that stuff again. Question number three from Rob. That's at Robert H. 820-83151. Do you think the 49ers smokescreen about the third pick was to try to get New England to pay more for Garoppolo? If they thought Mac Jones would be gone, maybe they'd pay more. 
I do not think that's what happened, Rob. Um, I, I think the Niners are being forthright with the idea they want to keep Jimmy Garoppolo for 2021 and see what happens thereafter. And here's the way you have to look at it. I don't think enough people are putting themselves in the Niners' shoes. They didn't think they'd be able to get everybody back this year. They got everyone back. Trent Williams is back. Jason Verrett is back. Kyle Juszczyk is back. So they were able to do better in free agency than they thought they'd be able to do. They were in the Super Bowl 16 months ago. And whoever came in at quarterback was going to come in without having much experience, having been face-to-face with Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch before, outside of their pro days. Really, there was no face-to-face interaction. So if you feel like you have a championship team, a loaded roster, probably a top-five roster in the NFL, do you feel comfortable trusting that roster, that shot at a championship, to a player that you've not had in the building yet? That's the crux of the matter. And if you are going to give up that insurance, wouldn't it have to be worth your while? Wouldn't it have to be a first-round pick? Now, again, things can change, and maybe Trey Lance gets in the building and he's ready to go and kills it in July and August. Now, all of a sudden, it looks different, and they're like, okay, now we think that Trey Lance is we think Trey Lance is going to be the guy. If Jimmy's going to sit, like his trade value is going to be crushed. Let's see what we can get for him now. Might change. But for right now, if you're doing right by your roster and you're protecting the championship shot that roster has, it ain't worth a third or fourth round pick to give up the insurance that you have at the quarterback position right now with a guy who's been in the building for four years. So the way I look at it is this wasn't about, I mean, this wasn't about one quarterback or the other. This was about the whole team. Like this is about, all right, if we're going to trade up for a quarterback, then how do we serve the team in the here and now? How do we serve veteran players who are in the prime of their careers, like a Fred Warner, like a George Kittle? Like, how do you, how do you serve the young players? Nick Bosa, Debo Samuel, uh, Brandon Ayuk. It's just, to me, the best way to serve those players is by giving them the best chance at the most important position on the field. And until you see what the rookie quarterback can do, Giving up, like giving Jimmy Garoppolo away, made no sense. Question number four from Wujan. That's at Wujan three. Is the NFL planning on having preseason games? And if so, will fans be allowed? Wujan, I do think that we're trending towards having preseason games and fans in the stands for them. I think the preseason schedule is going to be announced soon. There will be three preseason games this year instead of four. My sense is that there are going to be fans in the stands. And as much as anything else, I think teams are going to want to have the same amount of people in the stands for the three three preseason games as they'll be allowed to have in September. Now, part of that's out of their control, right? Part of that is going to be up to the individual states and what decisions they make as far as what's going to be allowed um, crowds, you know, as far as crowds go um, when we get to the summer, you know, but, you know, if the rules are going to be the same in August as they're going to be in September, then all these teams are going to want to get a dry run because there are going to be additional procedures in place to get fans in the stadium. They're going to want to have that dry run during the preseason. So I do think fans will be in the stands um, in the preseason. I do think there will be a preseason. Again, all this is presuming that like we do well as a country with COVID over the next few months. Um, and I do think like there's a really good chance at least in some places, we're going to have full stadiums in September, which tells me that teams are going to have full stadiums 
in August as well. Question number five from Daniel Trugman. That's at D Trugman two. Do you think the draft prospects that go in the later rounds five through seven or go undrafted should be allowed to go back to school? Could be best for everyone involved. Daniel, I sort of like the idea of doing what the NBA did um, where they let guys go through the process and then let them pull back on their decisions. Now it's a little difficult. It'd be a little difficult on the colleges because of their management of the scholarships and all of that. But I don't think it would really, I, I like the idea of maybe allowing for guys to at least enter the process and go through the combine and then maybe having a date at which if they haven't hired an agent, they're allowed to pull back. Um, that to me would make sense. I don't think like allowing guys who are drafted in the later rounds to go back to school is ever going to happen. But I think the idea of like maybe giving them some flexibility to go through part of the process so they can figure out where they're going to go and so they can get the truth on that might really work because like guys are either going to get invited to the combine or they're not. If you don't get invited to the combine, that's going to be a pretty strong indication that maybe you should go back to school. When guys get to the combine, they're going to be able to talk to teams and they're going to be able to get a better idea of where they're going to go. And so, you know, I think the idea of it like really makes sense. The problem in football versus other sports is the training that's necessary for the combine. So if you do this and you don't allow a guy to hire an agent, how is a guy going to train for the combine? How is a guy going to be able to be at his best when he gets to the combine? So that's where it's a little complicated. But I do think like the idea of it makes some sense to me. Question number five, six this for this week, that's from Matt Ramos. That's at Matt underscore Ramos. Which team had the best draft this week? And Patriots, 49ers, Jags. I'll give you two I really liked. Number one, the Panthers. I, like I look at like what they were able to do and how they were able to manipulate the board, turn seven picks into 11, add a fourth rounder for next year. In effect, they've replaced the sixth rounder and the fourth rounder they gave up for Sam Darnold. They gave up a two of four and a six. They've already replaced two of those picks. Um, and I also like the value they got. They were able to get at different points of the draft. J.C. Horn, a corner everybody loved, eighth overall, drafted in the proper spot. Terrace Marshall, Drafted in the second round, drafted in the proper spot. Brady Christensen, the tackle from BYU, drafted in the proper spot. Tommy Tremble, the tight end from from uh, from Notre Dame, drafted in the proper spot. Chuba Hubbard, kind of a guy who slipped a little bit in the fourth round. Good guy to take a, a flyer on there. I just think they got good value across the board. And you look at where guys were projected to go. They consistently got guys where they were projected to go or lower than they were projected I, I really like a lot about the draft. Again, you can't I, I can't sit here and predict who's going to be a great player and who isn't. But you can look and say, did this guy did this team get a guy like lower than he was projected to go or where he was projected to go? And how did they manage their assets? And I really like what the Panthers did, did there. And then the other team would be the Jets. The reason why there's a self-awareness to their draft. There's a self-awareness to the way that they manage their picks and the way where they messed up with Sam Darnold, I think they sort of showed we're not going to do this again um, in the way that they drafted and getting Zach Wilson help in the second round or the, later in the first round, they trade up and they get Ollie Vera Tucker. Now they've got two premier young offensive linemen in Vera Tucker and Makai Becton. In the second round, they draft Elijah Moore, who is widely seen as a first round talent. He's going to be a slot receiver for them, a kind of guy, the kind of guy who can create easy completions. And then with their fourth pick, they take Michael Carter, who'd slid a little bit, but as a pass catching back, again, somebody who can be an outlet guy for Zach Wilson. They showed to me an acknowledgement that things weren't right around Sam Darnold. We were never able to get a clean read on Sam Darnold. We're going to do better by Zach Wilson. Appreciate you guys coming out. 
Um, appreciate you as always coming out. Appreciate your feedback. We want your feedback. We need your feedback. Get to us on iTunes. Give me a rating. Give me a review. Let me know how I'm doing. Let me know how we're doing. And we're going to incorporate your feedback into our show. And you can also get to me with any of your comments on my social media, at Albert Breer on Twitter, at Albert underscore Breer on Instagram, at Albert R. Breer on Facebook. And listen and subscribe to all of our shows, the MMQB Monday Morning Podcast, the Weekside Podcast with Connor and Jenny. We're on three separate feeds now, but bang that subscribe button for all three. The MMQB Show, the Weekside Podcast, and one more time, the Albert Breer Show. You can find us on Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, wherever you guys get your shows. We are there. Same time next week. We'll see you guys then.